0: A reading from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning and good to see you. Please be seated. Uh, Today is Vision Sunday. Uh, So I'm glad you're here for Vision Sunday. It's a yearly opportunity for us to get our vision back, to see reality more clearly. Um, And the most important reality for us to see is the reality of God, God's existence, as well as the gospel and our calling as a church. So we're starting a new sermon series this Sunday called God of the Impossible, and that's going to take us through some of the greatest acts of God recorded in Holy Scripture. It's gonna start today and it's gonna continue throughout the fall. So I hope that you can join us for future weeks. Now, I wanna begin with this idea that in any area of life, we cannot harness what we fail to notice. We cannot harness what we fail to notice. Unless a sailor notices the shift in the wind, she cannot harness that wind to propel her boat forward. Unless an entrepreneur notices an untapped market, he cannot develop a product for it. Unless uh, we notice the spare iPhone charger available, our device will stay at or below 4%. Right? Unless we notice a window of opportunity for a date, a promotion, or an available scholarship, we can't throw our hat in the ring. We cannot harness what we fail to notice. Unless we notice a student's talent, we cannot call it out and develop it and bring it into its fullness into the world. Now, this is true in any area of life, but we need to ask the question, what happens if we fail to notice the power of God? What happens if we fail to notice the power of God? God's power far surpasses the power of money, technology, media, corporations, law, strong personalities, and the forces of nature. God created all things, and because of that, he rules over all things. He created us to partner with him. And yet, as modern skeptical people, it's like we're blinded to the power of God. We don't notice it at all. We, don't, we fail to notice him working, and thus we fail to venture on his power. We fail to partner with him. And so on this Vision Sunday, I want us to see God's power as it was displayed in Genesis 1. I want to invite all of us to notice it, to appreciate it, as God brings the universe into existence. And as a result, I want us to venture on the God of creation so that he can do things which are impossible for us, but small for him. There are so many things that are impossible for us but small for him. And that is literally true for you and I. He is the God of the impossible. And so I want to get our vision back for this. Let's turn to Genesis 1 and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Genesis 1 in your Bibles. It's also printed in your bulletins. Now, what do you think of Genesis 1? Huh? Huh? What do you think of Genesis 1? Do you think it's a religious myth? Some people think that Genesis 1 is filled with superstition, yet many don't know something very important about, about this first chapter in Scripture, and that is that Genesis 1 actually debunks ancient myths and frees them, frees people from superstition. You know, in the ancient world, people lived in abject fear of the gods. They thought that the gods, which were invisible, were behind any force in creation that they could see. There's a god of the heavens, there was a god of the seas, there's a god of the animals, there's a god. And what the gods do is they consort with one another and fight with one another. And as a result, you get rain, and as a result, you get death, and as a result, you get crops. And so you had to sort of manage the situation by appeasing the gods, tiptoeing around them, pleasing them, not not uh, making them angry, making sure that they're on your side, kind of manipulating them because they're manipulating you. And so people lived in abject fear and superstition. They did all these religious things which were totally unnecessary. And so what Genesis 1 does is Genesis 1 actually debunks so many of those myths. Why? Because it's God is creating the seas. There's no God of the seas except for the living God, and he's the one who created the seas. And you don't have to be afraid of him. You can know him and be in relationship with him. He speaks clearly. He created the, the sky. He created the sun and the moon. We don't need to worship the sun and the moon. We don't need to worship the constellations and stars and tiptoe around them and try to follow them because there is one God who created all of those things. And so you can just worship him. Do you know what this did for people? This totally freed them to move out into the world with confidence and joy, it reduced their anxiety and increased their creativity. And as a result, we got things like technology and science and discovery and human civilization. Now, we may look back on all of those ancient people and go, oh, you know what, for you, you know, um, we we may look down on them and think that it's, um, you know, very quaint and primitive, those primitive people with all their superstition. But what do you and I do? We look out into the world and we see all these powerful people and we follow them and we tiptoe around them and we try not to uh, get on their bad side and we try to get on their good side. If we only get in their good graces, then maybe we will survive life too. We look out on uh, impersonal forces as well and hold them in reverence, culture, politics, fashion, technology, social trends. And we're superstitious about those things because we want to navigate life and we want to make sure that we can advance and that we don't get in trouble. So my friends, you and I need Genesis 1 for our superstitions just as much as the ancient people did for their superstitions. Now, we might have questions about how Genesis 1 fits with scientific discovery. And Genesis 1 is going to answer some of those questions. But because it was written in a different era, it's going to answer different questions than we have on our minds. It's not going to fit modern life. Not everything's going to revolve around the questions that we're asking in 2023. That's just not how reality is. So we're gonna take the text on its word and add its face value. And we're going to see the beauty in it. And we're going to discover the God who's behind it. So let's watch God do the impossible. And it's gonna begin with his working conditions, which were very difficult working conditions. Let's look in verses 1 and 2 about the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So where is God beginning? He's beginning with a futile, barren, purposeless mass of darkness, do you imagine ever being stranded on a planet, not the Earth? Right? You know how barren that would be, how inhospitable to life that would be? We wouldn't last a second. There would be no water, there would be no air, it would be, we wouldn't have the exact perfect conditions, just the right amount of variables and changes for you and I as human beings to live and breathe and flourish and worship and have joy and create. And that's where creation starts inhospitable to life. And yet, look at verse two. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's dark, it's deep, it's chaotic, it's stagnant. But the one force that's moving in all of creation is the spirit of God hovering over the deep. Now of all of the forces of nature that the ancients feared the most, the deep waters was very high on the list. And for good reason. Deep waters can swallow us whole. Deep waters can toss us around in a hurricane. Deep waters contain wild creatures which could, which could consume us and hurt us. Deep waters were scary. They still are scary. But to God, you know what deep waters are like? They're like putty in his hands. He can do anything he wants. With the deep waters. Now, here we see the Spirit of God hovering over all the waters as if to say, Now, how might I display my power and glory through these deep waters? Now, a time would come when God's Spirit would, would, would hover over and blow upon the deep waters and separate them, do something that n- no one in this world could ever do to create an absolute pathway through deep waters. So that his people could come through. We can read about it in the book of Exodus when God delivered his people from, from unjust slavery um, and from Pharaoh, and they walked right through because of the Spirit of God parted the deep waters. And then what did the Spirit of God do once they passed through? And once once God created a new people through those waters? Well, he closed them up on his enemies and all the chariots of Pharaoh, and all the armies of Pharaoh, and all the mechanisms of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh himself drowned dead in the deep waters. Now, a time would come later when the Spirit of God would hover over the waters of the Jordan River, and Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would be right in that river, and the Spirit of God would help to identify that Jesus Christ was the very Son of God come to take away the sin of the world, the one that God was well-pleased in. This is Jesus' baptism. And then later on, the Spirit of God would use water as a sign of the washing of sins and a new birth in Jesus. That's our baptism. Listen, deep waters are dangerous. But make no mistake, deep waters are nothing to God. They are but a tool to do his bidding, to show his power and glory. And the same is true for every scary, dangerous reality we face in this life. Here's a personal testimony. For church planters, finding a suitable worship space is our version of the deep waters. You can't find a worship space, you don't have a church. Now, in the city, the waters get even deeper because real estate's more expensive and less available. Now, you throw developers in the mix and you've got a downright hurricane ready to whip you around, right? So uh, you need meeting spaces to carry out the mission, but what happens if Chicago real estate's out of your control? So when I got word that the developer had final approval to purchase this space, my blood pressure went up. What are we going to do? Alarm bell, alarm bell, alarm bell, activate, problem solve. We need a place to go, right? Yet Chicago real estate and worship space for churches are but putty in God's hands. So the Spirit of God hovered over the whole situation. The timing, the money, the players, all the prayers. Spirit of God is just hovering. And when the developer finally closed on the property, they immediately moved hundreds of migrants into this very campus. And I saw our church mobilize to throw a party for them, to put on a carnival for them, to host them for lunch, to pray for them right there, right out there on the steps of the place that we've met for the last three years. A new team at Emmanuel Anglican has formed for the long term to serve the needs of these new neighbors? The community uh, has found out, has gotten word about our church. They've been calling. They've been thanking us. They've been giving us ideas. They've been giving us information. Rather than stifling the mission of Emmanuel Anglican, the developer has helped activate our mission at a whole new level. Can you believe it? Listen, this is God at work. He's hovering over the deep waters for you too. Not just for me, not just for our church but for individual situations. Okay, so what makes your blood pressure spike, right? Is it a medical condition? Is it a psychiatric condition, right? Is it a relational mess that you're in right now? You have no way out. A lawsuit. Growing hostility to the Christian faith. Is it climate disasters? Is it looming deadlines for your studies or your work? Is it bills uh, coming due? but you don't have money to pay those bills. We can invite the Spirit of God to hover over the deep. Why, this is putty in his hands. He's ready to show his goodness and power over these things and to to show us actually that we can trust him again, that he's real, that he's at work. Now, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, and then God begins to make the whole creation fruitful. So let's watch what God does with this world. There's a beautiful detail that I don't want us to miss, and it's in verses three through five. Let's look there. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. All right, God speaks light into existence. This light scatters the darkness and the earth sees her first morning. Now what's really interesting is that the sun doesn't appear until day four. So where is this light coming from my friends? And the answer is this, this light on the first day of creation is coming from God himself. The psalmist says that God wraps himself in light as a garment he is the original and uncreated light of the world people still long for the uncreated light of god and let me tell you something until history is complete people will always long for the light of god to reach their hearts to reach their world to reach their life why because this world can be a dark place it's still chaotic it's still scary it's, in, in some cases, bleak and hopeless. And sometimes we've experienced this darkness inside of us and around us. Darkness can blind us to the presence of God. Darkness can close in on us and cause us to lose heart and to lose hope. Now, in John 1, um, uh, the uh, Apostle John describes Jesus Christ as the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the, it is true that whenever we speak the name of Jesus Christ, and whenever we tell the story of Jesus Christ, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. It can, it can rail against it, it can, it can make threats against it, but it cannot overcome, ultimately, the light of God which has come into the world. Now, at the end of the story, this is the beginning of the story, but the end of the story, uh, we learn from the book of Revelation that the city, the city of Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb, right? The lamp is the lamb at the end of history. There's no need of sun. There's no need of moon as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, glory to God because he will always shine his uncreated light upon our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The uncreated light of God, we will always long for it and we see it on the first day of creation. Now on day two, God gives his attention to the, to the skies and the waters and then on day three, he gives his attention to the dry land. And he's, filling all, he's making all of these things, he's like priming them for life. You guys ever painted before? You start with a coat of primer, right, to get it ready for the final brush strokes. What is God doing on days one through three? He's, it's like he's priming key areas of creation to make it hospitable for, for life. He primes the light. He primes the skies and the waters. He primes the dry land. And then on days four through six, he fills each one of these areas with life. He fills uh, the skies with the sun and the moon and the stars. He, he stocks the pond on uh, day five with all of the creatures of the sea. And then on day six, he fills the dry land with living creatures, with beasts, with, with, uh, with platypuses and flying lemurs and. Elephants, the most fierce beast you can think of, and the tenderest flowers. By the end of day four, we're, we're gazing up into a star-studded sky, keeping time with the sun and the moon. And we're ducking for cover on day five because the falcons and eagles are flying overhead. God saw that all of it was good. From day one to day six, Tove is a word for good. Called Tove, and it captures this sense of like, wow, it's so beautiful. It's so fitting. It's so vital. It's so harmonious. God brought good into a desolate world. Why? Because He is good. The world, it's like the world is now a mirror of God's goodness, shining back to Him His glory. I want to speak directly to some of you here who have ever felt like your life was not good, it was not Tove, that you have felt worthless, that you have felt depressed, that you feel like a failure in life, that you feel forgotten, that you have ever hated yourself or wished that you were a different person or had thoughts that the world would be better off without you. Are you here? Are you listening? I want you to notice something with me. I want you to pay extra attention to the final flourish of day six because there's a direct line from this moment in history to your life and your existence. So I want you to to look at this with me as I read it in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, humankind, you could translate it in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man or humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. My friend, you and I are part of something we might call God's passion project. There's more energy given into the creation of human beings uh, than than any part of the creation in Genesis 1. Lots of intention, lots of detail, lots of creativity. Um, God created us in his image and his likeness. Now, what does that mean to be created in God's image and likeness? Well, one key detail that we take from the context of Genesis 1 is that it means that our life has a purpose. Doesn't matter how we feel, It does matter how we feel about our life, but even if we don't feel like we have a purpose, objectively speaking, we have one in the living God because we come from him. We don't come from chaos. We don't come from non personhood. Love can't bloom from non love. Our life comes from God. Our purpose comes from God. He told human beings to have dominion over fish, birds, livestock, and all the earth. That's a lot of responsibility. You and I are here to take care of the earth physically, spiritually. You are a unique creation of God, my friend. God has given you a cluster of gifts and abilities that are going to enable you to play a distinct role in his vast and beautiful world. Your life has a purpose. You bear his image. Now, being created in God's image also means relationship. God creates in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As he says, let us make, and we create in community as well. Male and female, he created them, it says in verse 27. He calls us to work together. And finally, it means blessing. God blessed us and calls our existence very good. Not just good, it's very good. And he calls us to fill the earth biologically and spiritually. The end of the day, God is glad that we exist. Isn't that good news? God is very pleased and glad that you exist. He's ready to partner with us. God's done his part. He's turned a barren and lifeless void into a loving, life-filled place filled with his very own ambassadors and image-bearers. And now he's calling us to play our part, which is venturing on him. uh, Bearing God's image is not a passive reality. It's a high calling, and it implies risk and adventure and courage. It will push us beyond our comfort zone to exercise the image of God. Here are ways that we could be venturing on him as we bear his image. It could be entering into a friendship, a marriage, a job, and a church community. It could be bringing a child into the world and raising them in the Christian faith. That takes a lot of courage. Making disciples of Jesus among people that we thought would never be interested in him. That takes a lot of courage. What about launching a new business? What about writing a graduate school thesis or seeking asylum for ourselves and our loved ones or daring to create a new art project? God can do more than we can ask or imagine. That's just true. Um, and often, than, more often than we'd like, he involves us in that process. He asks us to learn about his power by venturing on his power, and calls us to steps of obedience and spirit-filled action. God is looking for people who trust him, who will venture on his promises, cooperate with his blessing rather than resist his blessing, and take up the mantle and take up the thrill of venturing on him in this world. Who will take up that call? Now, I want to talk about what this could look like at Emmanuel Anglican Church, to venture on the God of creation. The first thing that we can do together is to expect that God can provide for our worship space, no matter where it ends up being, to expect that he can and will provide for our worship space, Sunday by Sunday and long term. And we can expect that we will reach people in Chicago in the process. There are 3 million people in our city. And God is calling us to reach our city. He can provide all the finances that we need for the worship space that he has, uh, has for us. He can provide all of the growth that we will need to fill whatever worship space we end up moving to with life and ministry. My friends, the same God who called forth vegetation from the ground and created the animals and the birds is at work in our church and in our city and he has a place for us and he has growth for us. The same God who blessed humanity and provided everything needed for them to rule and fill the earth is the same God who can provide for us, who has provided for us, and who will provide for us. That's the first thing. We can expect that God will provide a worship space and everything needed to steward that space. Second we must begin to share the gospel as a blessing rather than hide it away as a curse. To learn to share the gospel as a blessing rather than hide it away as if it were a curse that we were trying to get away with. Paul says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God. It has the power to bless and transform individuals and communities. If someone believes the gospel, And follows Jesus, their life will change, their family will change, the generations to follow will change. The gospel can satisfy their heart, their longings. It can change people who were stingy and self centered into people marked by radical hospitality and self forgetfulness. It can heal marriages and family wounds. It can transform entire cultures to become more just, loving, and hopeful, my friends. Do we believe any of that? Do we believe that? Do we cherish that? Is it a treasure to us? I believe that we need to leave behind the shame that we have about the gospel of Jesus. Starting now. Jesus has sent us into the world with a precious inheritance. He has asked us to carry it with confidence in Chicago. If we don't have confidence in the gospel, what are we doing here? We need to repent of the false humility which says, I'm harming people when I put Christ on display. That's not humility. That's self-protective pride. We need to leave behind the superstitious myth that says, no one becomes a Christian anymore. There may be Resistance to the gospel that is new and unique. But resistance to the gospel has never been quite unique. It's always been there, and God always overcomes it. What do we believe is more powerful, the power of God or the power of our culture? At the end of the day, we have to choose. It's a superstitious myth, my friends. People do become Christians, they get baptized, they follow Jesus, and they lead others to Christ. It's happening in our city. I hear stories. Wouldn't you like to be able to tell some of the stories? I would. I very much would. I very much know we will. We can be knee deep in baptismal waters watching people come to faith. Practically speaking, here's what this looks like on a day to day level it looks like inviting the unchurched and non Christians into your life at every level, break time, dinner time hanging out in the back porch, hanging out in the front porch, small group, church, arts group, inviting them into your life, sharing your story of faith, hearing their story too, asking some questions, having a conversation, let the Holy Spirit do all the heavy lifting. You know, if we all started doing that, it would transform our church. It would. It's going to take time to get there and we will get there and we're going to take all the time what we need to do it. But it starts with just acknowledging that we have a treasure. We have a treasure. We have an inheritance to share. And now is our time. Think of it, my friends. Look, in a city of highly anxious people, we have a lot, we have a lot of depression and anxiety out there, right? We are a church, last time I checked, filled with a lot of compassion and grace. We have a gift of healing in this church. I believe we are suited for this moment. The people of our city long for beauty and wonderful stories to be. And last time I checked, we are a church filled with artistic gifts and storytellers and vision. Wow. We have a city with spiritual hunger and a cry not just for religious showmanship. No one wants that, right? We don't want that, and our city doesn't want that, but people long for authentic spirituality. And last time I checked, we were a church rich in prayer, liturgical prayer and healing prayer and listening prayer and intercessory prayer. We can teach people how to pray. We can teach people about a God who will listen to them, to be done with all the superstitious myths of this culture that gets people trapped and to set them free, to see them set free as the light of God shines on their hearts for the first time. There are skeptics in our city doubting truth claims and the integrity of those who have them. And last time I checked, this was a church rich with a head-heart connection. People who have deep education and also have deep hearts, and there's a strong connection between those things. And people who have the ability to bridge the culture between what the Bible teaches and the questions that people are asking to today without judgment, with a lot of patience. And my friends, what if God took the healing gift that we have and the gift of beauty that we have and the gift of truth that we have and the gift of prayer that we had and added the gift of faith to it all? What if he did that? What if every Sunday had the same electric outreach energy that is here on Lessons and Carols, right? Every Sunday, buzzing with people who are in our network, our friends, our neighbors, because we were confident that they would meet God here. We were were ready to host them here. We were ready to seek out unfamiliar faces here, and we were ready to showcase the beauty, truth, and goodness of the gospel because we know it's beautiful. We know it's good. We know it's healing. It's changed our life. Why wouldn't we share it? We are so primed to exercise confident spiritual influence in our city. Are you ready to walk in the blessing and exercise confident spiritual influence in our city? All of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. But if the gospel is a shame and a curse, we'll never walk in that blessing. We won't walk in that call in the very time that we were born to walk in it. It's a daunting, thrilling responsibility. We're put on this earth and in this city at this moment. What we need most of all right now in this moment is to acknowledge that our God is the God of the impossible and repent of our false humility and repent of our belittling thoughts about him. Our building situation is like putty in his hands, just a tool to show us who he is, just to build our faith. Our mission to be a spiritual beacon church is like putty in his hands. All of our angst that we have in our post evangelical state is like putty in his hands. All of the misgivings that we have, all of the shortcomings that we have, is like putty in his hands. Our culture is like putty in his hands. The Spirit is hovering, creation is waiting. So, my friends, let us take up our mantle and venture on the God of creation. In the name of the Father, the Son,